This is Michael Zuber, and I just wanted to thank you for listening to my One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that I took the time to document the entire process I used to learn my market and actually still use today? I released it as a $199 online course via Teachable, and it is called How to Get Started One Rental at a Time. With that, you get access to my private Facebook group and can join our group mentoring calls every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific. You can find it on my website at onerentalatatime.com. Now on with the show. Hey, everyone. It is Wednesday. And of course, that means we are bringing back your favorite expert, Anna Kelly. How are you doing, Anna? I'm very pensive today. <laughs> pensive. There's your SAT word of the day. Well, you know, topic number one is going to come out hot. You and I both believe the fundamental economics of commercial real estate, warehouses, storage, multifamily changed in the last 24 hours. I think we need to talk about it because I think a lot has changed and I don't think enough people are, are, are understanding the risks, the legislative, the tax, the just all the things that are going to be coming that would potentially impact, negatively impact commercial real estate. Absolutely. And and what Michael, you're alluding to is that the, the Senate race in Georgia, there were two um, seats available up for re-election. And what, what I and, and many investors and, and many people, regardless of party, were hoping was that there, the balance of powers is maintained. So mm-hmm. that while you have a Democratic president, you have a Democratic House, that you would have a Republican Congress. And that keeps any sweeping legislation changes or sweeping tax changes from going ideologically and economically one way, because yeah. you have this balance of parties that are arguing and trying to come up with compromise rules. Mm-hmm. So the fact that this balance of powers looks like everything other than obviously the judicial branch is democratic, mm-hmm. what this means is that the the agenda that they have for what they want the tax code to look like and what they want um, the pandemic to look like for residents and versus landlords, those things are going to be fast tracked and happen very, very quickly, potentially. And they could have a huge impact on us as investors, especially if you're investing in commercial real estate. Yeah, we see the world the same way. I got up early today. I was checking last night. It kind of looked that way this last night. I got up, I was up at like 3.30 or something this morning. And I looked and I actually did a video at 7 a.m. going, okay, the blue wave one, here's all the 12 or 13 things that are probably going to change good or bad, right? No judgment. It's just coming. And, right. and yeah, a lot of them are going to affect real estate. Uh, but again, uh, you can also say that, you know, in theory, there could be some good things, right? More stimulus coming. Right. No doubt. Yeah. Right. $2,000 looks like it's going to be, you know, he made, he made a promise, you know, give me that, give me the Senate and I'll give you 2k. That's what I heard. Right. Right. No. Yes. So I think, Michael, with every the way that I'm trying to look at this and I hope can bring some encouragement to the listeners who are kind of panicked or think what what's going to happen is that in our lifetime, we see so many changes of power and we see so many different economic cycles and, you know, tax code changes that mm-hmm. there, what we know is that it's always going to change in, in four to eight years, it's always going to change. And so mm-hmm. we have to say, what, what do we think is going to happen? Get really good at predictions that are valuable enough that we can try to mit- identify and mitigate risk. Right? right. And then how do we make, allow those changes to um, either become opportunities for us or 
put us in risk mitigation mode. And, and I think the primary things that I view as the risks of this change is that um, the, the tax code changes that they want to put into play. So Biden and, and many of his colleagues on the far left, um, further left in the Democratic Party, they have, have already said and written in their tax code agenda mm -hmm. that they want to raise the capital gains rates from the special 10, 15, 20% brackets up to ordinary income rates. Mm -hmm. They want to raise our ordinary income rates. Mm -hmm. They want to eliminate the 1031 exchange, which is huge in commercial real estate for all for of sure. us, really. For sure. And for eliminate sure. the stepped up basis that allows our children or our heirs to inherit property at the then current value and not have to pay capital gains on the difference between what their parents paid for it and what they're getting mm -hmm. it for. So real estate is very attractive for many, many reasons, but one of the primary reasons that people invest in real estate and take on the headache that's involved with it um, and the risk that's involved with it is because they have huge tax code advantages. So if you eliminate those tax code advantages, um, number one, what it does is it makes you say, if I'm going to buy this property, but I'm always going to have to give more than a third of it to the government when I sell it, mm -hmm. my profit margins on the upside just go down a lot. Right. And then you really have to make your money on the cash flow and the income. Well, if property values are super high and you're paying top dollar, you're not going to have a lot of income. So on a lot of commercial institutional investments, what, regardless of asset class, self-storage, retail, warehouse, multifamily, they're being sold right now at such low cap rates. In other words, like a return on their cash. People are buying them for a four to 7% cash on cash return. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, and then you add a third of that being taxes, you're investing you know, for one and a half to maybe 3% return on your money in exchange for a major headache. And oh, by the way, if the eviction moratoriums go longer and you can't collect rents, your, va your, your economic vacancy goes way up mm -hmm. and you might just break even. Well, for big institutional investors who are buying new assets, they don't care because they're not buying them for cash. They're buying them to park them for safe place to put their money mm -hmm. and then the natural appreciation over time. But for the little guy like us um, and you know, investors, even in most syndicators, smaller operations, they're buying them to generate a cash flow and a huge upside. Right. Well, if now the investors can't 1031 exchange out of them and have to pay huge taxes and they don't have much income, people say, well, why don't I just put my money in you know, my own house or smaller rentals or residential properties or the stock market if they have the appetite for it. Mm -hmm. So it just becomes a much uh, a less attractive option and something we have to really think about how can we buy them and still profit well? How can we mitigate these tax issues? How can we set up the future so that we don't have to take the hit when we go to sell them? And we got to think through all of those things. Yeah, I am most nervous in the commercial market about the tax changes. Because, yes, because in our lifetimes, there was a fundamental change to how real estate taxes were done. I think and it caused the SNL crisis back in the 80s, yes. right? It, it basically used to be high income earners could take losses against ordinary income, right? That yes. used to be the rule. They then That's when you had dentists and doctors, you know, buying real estate to essentially hide some of their income. And then the tax code changed and we had a real estate crash. Real estate crashed because 
the rules that were in place at acquisition disappeared. Yes. And that's and what we're dealing with. Exactly. And that's why I'm a little bit nervous for commercial real estate, because again, deals were done under one set of rules. The set of rules are going to change. And given the degree that they change, it could blow up deals that are already done. It will very likely, very likely cause frustrated landlords to be once again, even more frustrated, right? If you're a landlord, and again, we'll do the small ones, right? Because the big boys got balance sheets and they can raise right. capital. It just doesn't matter. Right. But if you're a mom and pop investor like us, and you've had a rough year and, you know, a 30 year tenants aren't paying or you got to chase them and, you know, uh, you know, you're down 30, 40, 50 grand since February, you see this tax treatment or tax changes and you're like, I am done. You know, I am out because yes. being a landlord is hard. Yes. Um, and yeah, you're right. I, I feel for the, for the mom and pop landlords. And then lastly, you know, if you are looking to do new acquisitions, I think you got to wait for the rules to change. I don't think I would be in a rush until the rules are written. Um, Cause again, I think I just, all this, this really concerns me how fast they can make the changes. And if they're going to accelerate them in 21 and make them, make them effective for 20, that would be bad. Well, they can't make them effective for 2020 because oh, the good. tax year is ended, oh, but they can make them effective for 2021. And so, you know, I think the earliest tax code change that's ever been pushed through in an election year has been in November, mm -hmm. and they did make it retroactive for that entire tax year. Wow. So everybody's kind of been hoping, well, it would maybe it'll take them a year, and by the time they they pass it, they will just make it effective in 2022. Right. And they still could. They still yeah. could. You There's other issues right now and all that stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, and they have the choice to make them effective for the following year or for the current year. Okay. So, but we have to, you know, we have to think about what if they do change them this year? And to be honest with you, Michael, this is why I had an issue as an investor. And this is this goes to the thinking ahead and mm -hmm. risk mitigation, mitigation yep. where I was yep. selling a lot. And I knew I was going to have a huge capital gain for 2020, really yep. big capital gain. But I said, you know what? I'd rather it be big in 2020 and make sure I'm paying 15% yep. or 20%, however it lands rather than take the chance that I move it to 2021, they change the tax code and I have to pay more than double yeah. what I had to pay in 2020. Wow. So that's how I kind of mitigated that by choosing to pay the tax, whatever it is, okay. and not risk the future. What I think is really going to happen, and this goes to your point about holding off on buying till the rules, till we know what the rules are. I think we are going to see a huge increase in supply of commercial real estate really quickly, like in the next couple of weeks, because oh, I wow. think investors are going to say, whoa, we're going to have a huge tax hit. My rate may go up this year. They're hoping it's not going to happen until 2022. And they're going to try to dump properties while prices are high hmm. before they start to come down. And when we see a, a, a major supply, initially, there's so much pent up demand that some of it may still be swept up, especially institutional level stuff. Um, but I think in small multifamily to mid-size non-institutional grade stuff and, and other asset classes, I think you're going to see a lot of stuff for sale. And once that supply and that demand loses the equilibrium and there's more supply and less demand, prices come down. So yeah. I am on the positive side, I'm going, okay, this is a time for opportunity. And rather than being fearful and going, I'm not going to buy anything. 
I'm going to say prices are, when prices come down below equilibrium, and I know that they are a better price than they have been in the last 10 years, I'm going to buy. Yeah, and yeah. I'm going to buy knowing that I'm going to buy nicer, better quality properties that I'm planning to hold for the long term. I'm going to do less of the let's update it and plan to sell it with investors in three to five years. Exactly. And I'm going to say, let's buy properties that are long term holes. And when we want our equity out, we'll refi instead of sell. Exactly. And if you sit on the property for a very long time, you don't have to worry about what's the tax code in the next four to eight years. Exactly. You can stretch beyond that where you hope that maybe there's a shift in administration and the tax code goes back the same. So I, I have an eye to purchase and buy when it's a fire sell, hold longer. And oh, by the way, start thinking about things like infinite banking insurance policies that will get big enough that mm -hmm. they will pay off the taxes if my children happen to inherit them without the stepped up basis. Nice. Yeah, I think that's all. I think that's exactly where I'm at is, is I've been through this environment before where inventory spiked and you know, you're right. Some gets absorbed, right? The pent up demand, they don't see it, it coming. But when the wave starts to build, it will crest and there will be opportunities there. And again, my time horizon has always been uh, forever, right? I do sell yeah. when stuff gets expensive, but my time horizon at acquisition is forever. Me too. So, you know, that's all good. And I think you're right. The value add kind of three to five year play is way risky. Yeah, for now. For, for now. now, yeah. And yeah. I think too, to your point of the forever, this, this addressed your second point is landlords who are hurting don't just go sell and take a loss. If you planned to hold these properties forever, know that this is a challenging time, but you'll get past it. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, change out the tenants when you can, put the money back into improving your own properties and keep them longer. And, and that way you recoup some of the losses of one year in the next two, three, four, five years. And mm -hmm. so landlord's temptation to get out while it's hard is, is the wrong temptation. It's like selling when the stock market's down because you're scared, you're locking in your losses. Yeah. So if we have the fortitude to get through whatever comes, you know, hopefully this pandemic is behind us in this next year and the eviction moratorium goes away. And if you can weather the storm, um, then, you know, I think that we're going to be okay, especially if you bought right, if your numbers mm -hmm. were conservative, yeah. you've built in 10% vacancy a year. Well, most of my properties, Michael, I've had 2% vacancy over almost 15 years. So on paper, I've already saved myself 8% vacancy every single year. Well, this might be a year that you have a lot of vacancy, but you should have planned for an right. averaging out of, you know, enough that it's probably still okay if you hold tight. Yeah, there's one aspect I want to ask you about multifamily, commercial multifamily. We'll stay there. We're going to, everybody, episode number two will be residential. So we will get there. But I'm wondering about the investor who's like, you know what? I like Section 8 housing. And I'm wondering about Section 8 housing because, again, one of the things that I said this morning at seven o'clock was I expect housing assistance programs to get bigger. And, you know, if that's your belly, certainly Section 8 housing is not for everyone. It has its own headaches and problems and all of that. But if that's what your inventory is and, you know, 80% of your money is Section 8 money, you know, I, I think that's still a valid strategy. It's that, it's that middle ground. It's that stretched cash buyer or cash tenant that's really the problem. But I think if you're a Section 8 landlord and that's your portfolio, you're probably okay in this environment. But I wanted to get your thoughts. You know, I've thought a lot about that. Um, and in the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, okay, you know, the people that are buying Section 8 are not as hard hit as some. 
the, the, and, and there's some truth to that because if, if Section 8's paying, you know, 70 to 80% of the rent amount, mm -hmm. even if your tenant can't pay, you pretty much can guarantee that you're going to have, you know, 80% or so paid by the yep. government. Now sure. that, that difference, you may not be able to go after them for, and that's part of the issue. So there's two things that make Section 8 still to me a little risky. And there's risks in all classes, okay? Sure. So this isn't like, oh, this is a risk, stay away. But the things to think about, one is with the CARES Act, um, and I went through the CARES Act um, assistance with one of my tenants. And basically what it said is, regardless of what your rent is, we will pay up to $750 for this tenant. But if we pay to 750, oh, by the way, you can't go after them for the difference. You have to forgive it forever. So, you know, if they, and they could request up to six months rent. Hmm. So if I'm collecting like the CARES Act with eviction moratorium or section eight, 75% of my rent, that's still a 25% vacancy factor. Sure. You know, when I'm not getting paid. And so it's still not ideal. It could be better than getting CARES Act money. Um, and you definitely have some cash flow coming in. The other thing that really gave me pause, and quite frankly, it was very scary, was after the first CARES Act was passed, and they were looking at phase two legislation, I believe it was um, Omar yeah, the and, one in Minnesota. and Octavio yeah. uh, Cortez, mm -hmm. they co-sponsored a bill that was talking about rent forgiveness. I and so that. what they yeah. wanted to do was forgive the rent, refund your tenants back six months worth of rent, <laughs> and then we'll give you loans as landlords. So rather than giving us money, we'll give you loans. And the, the scary thing that was within that, um, that piece of legislation, which obviously didn't go anywhere at the time with a two-party uh, Congress, was that you, in order to, to accept the loans, you had to agree to certain conditions. Mm -hmm. One of them was an anti-discrimination um, rule that was harder than what's there currently. But the other thing was, if you sell your property while you have that loan, the government gets first right of refusal to buy that property. <laughs> and if you violate any of those conditions of the loan, the government can take your property as collateral. Wow. Those two things to me are scary. They're, they were crazy. They're socialistic. And I said, they won't happen. Here's the thing. If there's enough pushing for that type of legislation, especially in Section 8 type of housing where it's already conditioned on government backing and government payments, yeah. there yeah. are a lot of things that you have to give up as a landlord in order to agree to take their money. And if there's those kind of conditions attached to Section 8 housing or to any kind of lower income housing, mm -hmm. um, I don't want to be a party to that. I like real estate because I control mm -hmm. that I own it, how I handle the tenants according to my contract, mm -hmm. and that if I need to evict someone, I have contract law that allows me to do that. Um, it's a little scary that what we've seen in the pandemic is that all these things override contract law yeah. and our institutional, our constitutional rights to, you know, operate our businesses according to, to law. So I think that there's a little more legislative risk when you're dealing with Section 8, mm -hmm. especially if there's additional legislation pushed by those that are trying to push that kind of legislation that makes me say, I'll never go 80% in. 
Would I buy a property and take Section 8? Yes. And I do take Section 8 in a few of my nicer properties, but I'm not a HUD housing project that's getting all of my money from Section 8. Yeah, I'm definitely, I don't, I don't, I don't have any section eight housing. I just have housing that's available at certain market rents. And if the tenant qualifies, that's what I, that's, that's knock on wood. Again, we're through December now where my collections are still in the nineties, mid nineties, because we're very tight on the box, right? I'm very selective. I don't care where the money comes from for the rent. Could be the government, could be their jobs. Don't care. Right. Right. Um, I'm agnostic. Um, Right. And there are a lot of other rules with Section 8, just by the way, a lot of people might not know this. So if you're a single family owner or a small multifamily and you're not a Section 8 housing project, you just happen to take Section 8, Mm -hmm. there's a lot less of this. But if you have like a a loan from the government to build or, or buy big Section 8 complexes, they actually limit your profits. So they make you off operate on a small profit to very small profit basis, but then they subsidize your mortgage. So you can't continue to raise rents and make more money and cut expenses. So they control your yeah. rents, they control your profit, they look at your P&L and your accounting every single year and make sure that you've stayed within their allotted income. And if not, then they can, they can you know, stop subsidizing your loan. So there's anytime you give the government complete control in exchange for something free, yeah, it's not a winning proposition. And that's part of the issue with, you know, let's give away free tuition and free everything else. There's yeah. always someone that has to pay and there's also always something you give up for the free stuff. Yeah. And just closing out on this commercial thing, just going back to the CARES Act, some of the stuff that I read, I would never take a CARES Act dollar right? There was just too much gray area, too much negative risk. I would rather lose. I have one tenant that's down almost 20 grand at this point. And, wow. You know, I will eventually take them to court and I'm in California, right? So my, my times will be longer than most states, right. but I'll eventually take them to court. I'll get a small claims, you know, judgment. I'll never see the money, but that I won't take any CARES Act money. I don't want, I don't want the rules that come with that. It's just no, right. no thank you. So, right. I agree. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's call it. We do have some risk in the commercial market. Again, I think you look at it positively. I think we'll both do some deals that we'll keep forever. So yes, there's there's some sunshine there. Absolutely. Yeah. The, I, I'm still excited about the potential of buying new property. So I'm not scared away. It's just yeah. how do we mitigate and buy wisely? That's the key. Yeah. Very cool. Awesome. Thanks.